Welcome to Desirability Alt, where we'll explore the intersections of disability, desire, and alternative relationships. I'm your host, Angela Carr. This podcast is intended for an adult audience who identifies with or is curious about alternative relationships, including kink, BDSM, non-monogamy, total power exchange, and more. This content is not suitable for those under the age of 18. Get ready, listen by yourself, or gather with your partners and enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 12. I'm your host, Angela Carr. Today, I want to talk about mental health and alternative relationships, particularly talking about kink and mental health but we'll also touch on polyamory and mental health as well. I'll share my thoughts and experiences with you. As someone who lives in a 24-7 power exchange or MS dynamic, one of the big questions I often hear is, is MS healthy for our mental health? There's a lot of vanillas out there that would say people who do what we do are not healthy. They think there must be, quote, something wrong with the people who enjoy being told what to do or people who enjoy being spanked or flogged. There's also beliefs out there that there must be something wrong with people who can't be in a monogamous relationship. Notice they say can't be, whereas those of us who are in open relationships talk about how we choose not to be in a monogamous relationship. Notice there is a difference there. Let's talk about kink first. It was only recently that acts considered BDSM were taken out of the DSM by the American Psychological Association. The DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. This is the guidebook psychiatrists will use in making mental health diagnoses for their patients. It's sort of like the psychological Bible. There's a good article from 2015 summarizing how these changes in the DSM came about regarding BDSM and kink. The article is called BDSM versus the DSM. It's written by Marissa Nathan Gerson for The Atlantic. I'll put the link to it in the show notes. It's only been recently that they acknowledge that just because we participate in these activities, these BDSM activities, doesn't mean that we are mentally ill. This article stated that in 2010, they started working on revisions for the next version of the DSM that would be published in 2013. The article states, the new definitions marked a distinction between behavior for example, playing rough, and actual pathology. Consenting adults were no longer deemed mentally ill for choosing sexual behavior outside the mainstream. Thank God there were people in this lifestyle that advocated for these changes to the DSM to say that someone who enjoys flogging their partner consensually 
is not the same as someone who is sadistically hurting someone or doing harm to non-consenting people. In BDSM, both partners are enjoying the experience. This is very different from someone who is abusing another person. As a submissive, I get a release from being flogged. Of course, I have safety precautions in place. I use safe words. I know that at any time, if I want the experience to stop, my sir or my top will stop. This is not the same as being abused. In BDSM, both people, or all people involved, enjoy it. All involved want this and are seeking this out. Are there people in the kink scene with mental health issues? Absolutely. But there's people with mental health issues everywhere. It's not just in the scene. There are many people with mental health concerns in the scene, and I am one of them. But here's how I look at it. I'm healthy enough to know that I have mental health concerns, and I'm healthy enough to know that I need therapy and I need medication. I've talked a lot in prior episodes about my physical disability, which is spina bifida, and the associated symptoms such as mobility issues, using crutches, pain issues, and bladder and bowel issues. I haven't talked as much about my depression and my anxiety, my mental health concerns, and I want to focus on that today. I would love to have some other folks in the scene on this podcast who want to share about their mental health and kink. Our mental health is just as important as our physical health. As people with physical disabilities, we often have higher rates of mental health diagnoses as well. Having a physical disability, dealing with ableism and an inaccessible world is stressful. So no wonder we have mental health concerns. The problem is that we focus so much, I think, on the physical parts of our disabilities that we don't think about our mental health. We push that to the side. We don't think about seeking treatment for our mental health. I think the same can be true for other health conditions. We don't look for other conditions. We don't think about our risk for cancer, so we may be less likely to get mammograms or tests for other type of cancers. We don't want to have to go to another doctor's office. Maybe we have a suspicious mole, but do we really want to make an appointment to see another doctor? Of course, we have to think about accessibility at doctor's office. That's an issue, unfortunately. And sometimes we think to ourselves, I have this disability. Can things really get much worse for me? I already have this disability. I can't get that too. And you know, it is possible to have multiple disabilities. It's possible to have multiple illnesses. And it's possible to have mental disabilities as well as physical disabilities. Having one does not exclude you from having another. It's something we need to consider. It's important that we take care of our whole being and that means taking care of our mental as well as our physical health. Unfortunately, when it comes to mental health, there's still a stigma attached to it. If we have pain in our knee, 
We don't think anything of calling the orthopedic doctor. But with a mental health concern, we feel like we should be strong enough to handle that or to shake it off. But getting treatment can be the smartest, healthiest thing you can do for yourself. That would be like saying, my knee hurts, but I'm just going to deal with it, which some people do. But what happens when we have a knee injury that goes untreated? That knee injury often gets worse instead of better. Why would our mental health be any different? I often have people say to me, you're so brave, you're so inspiring. These statements make me feel really uncomfortable because they smack of ableism. But the truth is, people with disabilities really are resilient. We usually do not have a choice but to be resilient. We have to keep pushing forward. We have to deal with daily pain issues. We have to have another surgery. We have medical equipment that fails us. And we have a healthcare system that fails us. But we keep pushing forward. We have no choice but to be resilient. I guess that's why I get angry when I hear, oh, you're so brave. Because really, what other choice do I have but to be brave? Having bladder and bowel issues does a lot of damage to our mental health, right? Thinking about things like embarrassment if we have accidents. Anxiety, oh my goodness, I can't tell you the anxiety I have when I have to be somewhere at a certain time. Now I drive, but in the past, I took public transportation to work. The anxiety of sitting on a subway train and having to go to the bathroom. Sometimes I think that anxiety will make my stomach issues even worse. So it's a vicious cycle. I have the neurogenic bowel issues, and then I have anxiety on top of that. So it's just this vicious cycle. One feeds the other. And this seems to be turning into a bladder and bowel episode, but all that to say that our physical disabilities can lead us to having mental health issues, depression, anxiety, and other issues. A few years back, I was waking up every day, going to a job that I hated. I was burned out emotionally and physically. My body couldn't take it any longer. I was finding myself calling out sick more often than I was actually going into work. My alarm clock would go off in the morning and I hit snooze 10 times before getting out of bed. It got to the point where I didn't want to face the day. I didn't want to get in the shower or even get out of bed. My self-care went out the window. Cleaning my house went out the window. This is how depression works or at least how it worked for me. I would get in the shower and I would just cry and not want to face my day. There are days when I called out of work because I was sick in the stomach because of my disability. There were days that I called out of work because mentally I couldn't handle the day. And I can't tell you the amount of shame I experienced on those days. I felt shame in admitting that I couldn't care for myself on those days, that I couldn't get out of bed and get into the shower. I, I just couldn't. I just froze. The shame got worse and the depression got worse. 
And that depression often manifested itself in a physical way. It manifested itself in stomach aches and migraines. Yes, part of that was due to my disability, but another part of that was due to my depression. Now that I'm no longer working, my stomach issues aren't as severe and my migraines aren't as severe. I've also had panic attacks. The first time was when I was at karaoke with my husband, where he worked as a DJ. Half the time, he was also the bouncer. One day, there was some trouble going on outside of this coffee shop that he worked at, and he went to see what was going on. People outside were physically fighting, and the owner of the shop got punched. So my husband runs out. He asked me to take over his DJ job for him. I knew how to do it, but I was so scared that he was going to get hurt. I ended up hyperventilating. I had one woman, you know, just holding me and trying to comfort me. Someone else went out to find my husband and told him, hey, your wife needs you now. So he had to come back inside for me to calm down. I would say that kink actually helped improve my mental health and my self-esteem. When I entered the kink scene, I started going to munches and play parties and meeting people. This actually gave me something to be excited about again. It gave me a reason to get up in the morning because once the workday was over, I would see my friends and be able to meet new friends. Being around like-minded, body positive, and sex positive people allowed me to explore myself and explore my sexuality. It eventually helped me to be more authentic and open with vanilla friends about who I am, and eventually to be more open with my family about who I am. Being in the kink scene gave me something to look forward to. Entering the kink scene for me actually helped improve my mental health. It also improved my marriage. It added spice to the marriage, but it also added better communication skills for my husband and I. After 19 years as a couple, we were opening up to new sexual experiences and sharing ourselves in a much deeper way with one another. Can kink or power exchange be damaging to one's mental health? I think this depends on the dynamic that you're in. My power exchange dynamic has been very healthy for me. Do people enter into unhealthy dynamics with the wrong people? Of course, that happens all the time. But I don't think that it's specifically because it's a kinky or power exchange relationship. There are a lot of unhealthy vanilla relationships out there too. We have to be careful in getting involved in any new relationship. What about PTSD or coping with past trauma? PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. We should not use kink or BDSM as a way to heal from past trauma. Do not ever use kink or BDSM as a replacement for therapy. However, I've heard from numerous people that kink has helped them. Being in a safe scene 
helps them in some way. It can be cathartic. I've had a scene with my master that was a really heavy scene, and I ended up just bawling my eyes out, and it was a huge release. We had a group of people watching us, and he stopped and asked them to leave the room so that we could be alone. And then he untied me for aftercare, and I just fell into his arms. It was incredible. It's like I was able to release all the pain I'd been holding on to. My daily pain from my disability, my stress at work, my past victimizations. I was able to just release it all and let it go in that scene. For me personally, I have some symptoms of PTSD. I have a lot of triggers. Being around angry, loud, drunk people is a trigger for me. I can't watch TV shows or movies with violence in them, especially any sexual violence. The first time I realized I was being triggered, I actually held on to my husband's hand during a TV show, and I gripped his hand so tight he yelled out in pain. That's when I knew I needed to talk with my therapist about my past abuse. I knew that there were things, incidents that happened in my life that I remembered some of it, but not all of it. But my body remembered. My body held on to that trauma. And so I needed to enter therapy. When it comes to BDSM, for a long time, hair pulling was actually a trigger for me because it triggered abuse from my past. Today, I actually love hair pulling. So things change. Sometimes triggers change. We get healthier slowly over time. I think having my hair pulled in a safe environment with someone I trusted and going slowly helped. Today, I enjoy it. I no longer think about my past abuse if someone pulls my hair during a scene. As people with disabilities and people with chronic health issues, we also can have medical PTSD from medical trauma. I know I've experienced this recently. I, I get Botox injections in my bladder every three months. And just recently, the nurses were having a really hard time cathing me. Um, sometimes I have a hard time cathing myself, but I've been able to do so. But they were having such a hard time that it ended up being four nurses and the doctor all in the room, all trying to cath me. And let me tell you, that was a bit traumatizing. I am considering having surgery for it. And that'll probably be in the future because of my insurance right now won't cover it. But if you'd like to hear more about that specific issue, I'm going to be writing a blog post about it. But all this is just to say that we can have trauma from medical procedures that we go through as people with disabilities. And so it's important to recognize that. So now I'll talk about polyamory and mental health. Just like there are folks out there that don't understand kink, there are also folks out there who don't understand polyamory or consensual non-monogamy for that matter. 
they think there must be something wrong with those of us in polyamorous relationships, that we are being selfish and we can't get enough, that we can't be satisfied in monogamous relationships. What are some of the things that we hear about polyamorous folks? Things I've heard is that uh, they're selfish and narcissistic if they can't be happy with one partner. I want to share my personal experiences with mental health and polyamory. I became interested in polyamory after I started going to therapy, to mental health therapy. The first time I ever went to therapy was because I was having marriage trouble. This was way before I got involved with polyamory or kink. My husband and I were having issues because I had a friend that I was spending a lot of time with and who was actually taking advantage of me. What I learned in therapy was that I was falling for this woman. My therapist had to point out to me in our sessions that I wasn't focusing on my relationship with my husband. I was focusing on my relationship with this woman. Even though she was a friend, um, that's where all my attention was going, was to her. And this woman could have done anything and I would have, you know, ran to her rescue. No matter what was going on in my marriage. And she was right. I was thinking of this woman day and night. At times I thought I was thinking about her because I was angry with her. But I come to find out that I was actually attracted to her. I had to start looking at my sexuality. As a married woman, considering bisexuality was scary. Taking the next step and starting to date women as a married woman was scary. Thank God I was in therapy throughout all of it. I went to therapy and I started exploring and I found other folks like me who didn't fit the mold of the monogamous family unit with the white picket fence. Today, that's the furthest thing from what I want in my relationships. Another question to consider is, would you consider someone who has mental illness as a partner? Let's talk about partners for a moment. I have had partners who have had various mental health diagnoses. I've had partners that are also in recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. What's important to me is that my partner is honest with me about their diagnoses or their substance abuse histories. What's important to me is that if the person has a substance abuse issue, that they're in recovery, that they're actively working their recovery program. If they have a mental health diagnosis, that they are seeking treatment for it. They're going to therapy, and if prescribed, they're taking their medications. For me personally, I wouldn't play with anyone who is high or drinking. To me, that is a safety issue. Honestly, I have done so in the past and have regretted it later. Not that I ever felt unsafe with any of my partners, fortunately, but 
there are just things I wouldn't do again. There's more of a chance of something going wrong and of it being unsafe if someone is drunk or high. I did have a partner once that I thought I would not want as a dominant because of his mental health condition. He was in treatment and I felt safe to have a vanilla relationship with him, but I was not ready to put my life into his hands as a submissive. We played a few times, but nothing serious. And he was seeking treatment, but at times seeking treatment at other times, not seeking treatment. And so eventually it didn't work out. Um, even the vanilla relationship didn't work out because he wasn't committed to his treatment. And that caused issues in our relationship. And so I'm, I'm glad that I never chose him as a dominant. Another question I've heard is, are S-types, slaves, submissives, littles, or bottoms, really just codependent personalities? This is where I put my 12-step hat on because I am in a couple of 12-step programs. And I'll talk about how I found my life in a 12-step program very similar to my life in MS in another episode. I am submissive and I'm a slave. I'm also codependent, but I'm seeking help for that. I go to 12-step support groups for my codependency. And my relationship with my Sarah is actually helping me with my codependency issues. Today, I don't have to please everyone. I put my focus on pleasing one person, and that's my Sarah. My Sarah also helps me with putting up boundaries with the unhealthy people in my life, friends or family. My therapist, my sponsors in my programs, and my Sarah all help me learn to take better care of myself, to focus on myself rather than focusing on everyone else, which is what I would have done in the past. Now, if you have a master or a dominant who is only focused on themselves, who doesn't take your health and your happiness into any consideration, then maybe you do need to look at your relationship. You know, a a master or a dominant is taking on responsibility for their submissive. And any good dominant will take care of their submissive and will help to improve their submissive's physical health as well as their mental health. So if you feel like your dynamic is hurting your mental health in any way, it may be time to look for a new partner. So let me give you some recommendations that I thought of regarding mental health and alternative lifestyles. There are things that I do daily to help me with my mental health symptoms. I often have people tell me that I'm so positive, I'm always smiling, and today they would be right. But it took me a long time to get here. It takes continuous work for me to stay positive. It's something I have to work at every day. I have daily readers, books that I read, one page of every day. Some are related to my 
Some are related to my 12-step programs, but not all of them. I pray and I meditate. I do yoga. I ask my partner for what I need in the relationship. I also do a lot of journaling. Sarah has me do journaling about us and about our dynamic, but I also do journaling for myself. I write a gratitude list. I say affirmations. Some people may think affirmations are silly, but they work. I have one tattooed on my wrist. It says, I am enough. It is tied to one of my 12-step programs. It's an OA program, Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, The tattoo is a cup of tea with the saying, I am enough, underneath. To me, this signifies that I have enough food. When people are eating their desserts, a cup of tea is enough for me. But it also signifies that I am enough and I am worthy of love just the way I am. Sometimes I need a reminder of that. So I have it tattooed on my arm. When I'm feeling down, I can look at that and remind myself. Maybe if I say it to myself often enough, one day it will sink in and I will believe it. I also remind myself that I can say no to people. I try not to overload my schedule with obligations. I try to focus on what I need to do for my health and mental health and my duties to my SER. My SER and my power exchange dynamic also help me with my mental health. My SER steps in a lot to remind me when I'm overloading myself with work or volunteering. Sometimes in my mind, I want to do all the things and I think I can do all the things. Sir will see this and stop me. We have a protocol in place that before I agree to volunteer for something new, I have to ask him first. If he says no, then I get to practice saying no to others, which is really helpful for me. I'm learning to say no as a new skill. I'm also grateful for that. I also remind myself that I can say no to people. I try not to overload my schedule with obligations. I try to focus on what I need to do for my health and mental health and my duties to Sarah. My Sarah and my power exchange dynamic help me with my mental health. My Sarah steps in a lot to remind me when I'm overloading myself with work or volunteering. Sometimes in my mind, I want to do all the things and I think I can do all the things. Sir will see this and will stop me. We have a protocol in place that before I agree to volunteer for something new, I have to ask him first. If he says no, then I get to practice saying no to others, which is really healthy for me. I'm learning to say no as a new skill, and I'm so grateful for that. Another thing that Sarah has done is incorporate my mental health treatment into our protocols. Part of being in service to him includes taking care of my health, and that includes my mental health. So I have to continue going to therapy and taking my medications. I have to continue going to my 12-step programs. I also... Having these protocols in place means that 
Many nights during the week, I'm in meetings instead of cooking dinner for him. I can't use the excuse of, oh, but I wanted to spend time with you to get out of taking care of my own needs. My mental health and my recovery come first. And that's per my sir, per his orders. So are kinky, so are kinky people mentally ill? The answer to that is some are and some aren't, just like in the general population. Are there more mentally ill people in the scene than in the vanilla world? I don't think so. I would be interested to see if there are any studies done on this. I haven't seen any. But my best guess is no. There are probably the same amount of mentally ill people in the scene as there are in the vanilla world. I hope I've given you some insight into my mental health and how to better care for ourselves. I hope that if you find yourself getting into a relationship with someone who has mental illness but is getting the help they need, that you will continue to seek out that new partner. I hope if you have mental illness yourself that this episode will encourage you to seek treatment and to continue to seek out your interest in alternative lifestyles. At the end of every episode, I'll be posting a question for you to consider. Today's question is, does your alternative relationship help you with your mental health symptoms or self-esteem issues? Does your alternative relationship improve your mental health? I would love to hear your thoughts and feedback from today's show. Go to desirability.com. That's D-I-S-I-R-Ability.com and share your thoughts with me. That's all for today. Thank you for joining me. Be well. Desirability Alt was created and hosted by me, Angela Carr. Opinions expressed are from my own personal experience or that of my guests. Did you like what you heard today? Be sure to follow Desirability Alt wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, you can also find me at desirability.com or on any social media at desirability. That's D I S. I-R ability. Thank you for sharing this journey with me.